You are listening to Preaching and Teaching on the Man of God Network of Podcasts. This resource combines expositional sermons and lectures from the classroom of Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary to help equip listeners for the work of the ministry. All right, so I want to talk about, uh, as, we, as we sort of get the class rolling here, just uh, some introductory things from Scripture about the mandate that we have to preach the Word of God. We understand that men who serve as pastors are required to be able to preach the Word. They're required to be able to teach and, and preach the Scriptures. We, we know that. We, we've seen those lists of qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. We, we know that those things are there. But it is also true, I believe, that, that in, in a sense, everyone who follows after the Lord Jesus Christ is called to proclaim the gospel. We're, we're called to, to preach, to herald, to announce, to give forth to the world that there is redemption, there is hope, that there is life, that there is deliverance, there is rescue in Jesus Christ. It, it is there and it is, it is available if we will come to Him in repentance and faith. So there, there is a mandate for, from, from, from the Lord Himself in Scripture for us to undertake. If, I'm sure you've heard this before, but if, if you condense the entire Bible down to, to, one, to a one-word imperative for us, it's repent, isn't it? It's repent. That's, that's what's directed to us. We must repent. We must be right with God, and the only way that we can do that is through turning from sin. Well, that's, that's a message then that we who have repented and that we who are right with God, now that we, we carry that to the world. We carry that message to the world so they will hear and know that they too have to re repent and be right with God. If we go back in the Old Testament to Nehemiah chapter 8, I want to look at verses 1 through 8 and then verse 12. You're welcome to follow along in your copies of the Word of God or just simply listen as I read through this passage. But again, it's a, it's a narrative that we know, but it's, it's again, reminds us of the significance of preaching. The passage says, And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it before the square which was in front of the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood those men on his right hand and those men on his left hand. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. 
And also these men, the Levites, explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. And now verse 12. All the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival because they understood the words which had been made known to them. And of course, we realize this was thousands of years ago. But I would certainly hope that we have at least some semblance of this spirit today in our congregations. Perhaps we do, perhaps we don't. But I think this is certainly something to, to aspire to, 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 to desire to, to work for because these people understood the Scriptures. As, as Ezra had, had read the law to them, and then, he, and then the sense was given, as it says there at the end of verse 8, translated to give the sense so they understood the reading. All of this was happening, and it, and it just it clicked, and it was, it was a, a thrill to the people to know the law and the instructions and the Word of God. It was a thrill to them to know about God. And again, not just to know about Him, but to know the God who had brought them to this place, had brought them to the Promised Land, who had been patient with them through idolatry, and disobedience, and immorality, had seen them go into exile and now return. It's just amazing that, that now the people have been through all these things and and they understand the Word of God as it has been delivered to them by a faithful expositor, someone who gave the sense so they would know what it meant. They weren't just empty words coming off of a scroll. They were words that were explained to them. That's our task, men. That's our task, to explain the Word so the people will, will resonate with it, will understand it, and will be able to apply it to their lives. That will give them a thrill that is beyond anything they can experience in this world, I think. Jumping into the New Testament, thinking again about the imperative of preaching in the Word of God. The Apostle Paul says in Acts 20, verses 25 through 27, And now behold... I know that all of you, among whom I went about preaching the kingdom, will no longer see my face. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. We know that often this passage is translated the whole counsel of God. Not necessarily the whole purpose of God, but the whole counsel of God. And, and Paul did not shrink back from that responsibility. He did not recoil from, from that imperative that had been given to him by the Holy Spirit. He knew that he had to deliver the whole entirety of the Word to the people that he was engaged with. And folks, that again is our call. That is our responsibility, our duty. We must give them all of the Scriptures. Not just those things that are simple and easy and clear and accessible. We have to give them those, those hard things, those, those difficult truths, those 
doctrines that sometimes are just tough to work through. We have to because that's how we come to understand God is by rightly dividing His Word and giving it to them. We all know and can possibly even quote what Romans 10 tells us as Paul is talking about the imperative of preaching and the need for a proper preacher. He says, How then will they call on Him in whom they've not believed? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Again, it's imperative that we preach, that we proclaim, that we announce, that we tell forth the truth of God's Word. When Paul came to Corinth in chapter 2, again, we know this well, I suspect, he says, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. We don't often think about Paul being someone who is weak and trembling and in fear. I don't know how you envision Paul, but many times I envision him as, as someone who is almost unassailable uh, as, as a spokesman for Christ, as an ambassador for the Lord Jesus, as, as one who goes into difficult places and, and preaches difficult truths. Many times I feel like he didn't make any mistakes or he didn't, he didn't disobey the Lord. He didn't sin. Sometimes I'm tempted to think that because of all the good the Lord used him to accomplish. But he did. He was a sinful man as I am, as you are. And so he understood when he came to Corinth that he had to come to them not in verbal finesse and not in the ability to deliver a message with power and clarity and to elicit a, a positive and uh, amazing response from his listeners. No, he only wanted them to know about Christ and Him crucified. In 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul says, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the Word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God, which also performs its work in you 
who believe. I mentioned earlier that I wrote my dissertation on Benjamin Keach, and, and it, was, it was a wonderful experience to read uh, what Keach wrote. Keach was probably the most prolific, uh, particular Baptist writer of the 17th century. And, he, and as a pastor, he encountered all different kinds of situations in his congregation, all different sorts of things that he needed to address. And he often did, not only from the pulpit, but also in printed sermons and things that he would uh, publish after he would preach them. And one of the things that, that Keach says uh, that always sort of resonates with me as I read things like this is that it is such a frightening thing to be the mouth of Christ. He's talking about the role of the preacher. He's talking about the role of the one who is given the responsibility of bringing the Word of God to the people. We, we are speaking the words of Christ. We are, we are, in essence then, the mouth of Christ, speaking to the people. And as we are faithful to exegete His Word properly, we, we, are, we are speaking God's Word to God's people. That's what Paul was talking about here in Thessalonians. Two more. In 2 Timothy 4, you know this, where he writes to Timothy as he's really preparing to die, and says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. Preach the Word. Be ready. In season, out of season. That's all the time, right? That's, that's all the time. Always. Be always ready to preach the Word. And then, famously, you know, two words that are positive, two words that have more of a, a negative connotation or a correcting connotation. So we, we reprove and rebuke, but we also exhort and give instruction. And again, if you're in pastoral ministry, Paul says here, do it with great patience. That's often translated all, all patience. Ministry would be easy if it weren't for all those people, wouldn't it? <laughs> Ministry would be easy if it wasn't for people, because people can be difficult. People can be trying. They, 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 can, they can exasperate us, but we have to love them. We have to love them even beyond their mistakes, love them beyond their stubbornness, love them beyond the things that they do that, that frustrate us. Have all patience so that we can be pastors to them, so that we can point them to the great shepherd. Lastly, 1 Peter 4, verse 11. Peter writes, Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, 
to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We're speaking the utterances of God. Do we really think about that? Do we really consider that that's what we're doing? Do, do we take it seriously enough? Do, do we consider the magnitude of what we're doing when we're preaching the Word of God to people, when we're, when we're teaching and conveying and disclosing the Word of God to people? Do we think about the enormity of what we're doing? I hope that we, we do, and I hope that in the course of this class we wind up doing it more, that we, that we consider that more than we have previously. As I said, if you go to Beakey's book, Reformed Preaching, you're going to find in here a whole host of different historical figures who were particularly good at, again, what he calls Reformed Experiential Preaching. And if you don't know what that is, look at the book. Check it out, because it's, it's not exactly the same thing as just, just any old pulpiteering, as any old sermon delivery. No, it's, it's very different. But one of the, in addition to some of those that are there in that book, I wanted to po point out a few others. Um, I don't know why he didn't include uh, Benjamin Keach in his work, but um, maybe he will if it's ever revised. But I wanted to share something that Keach says. You know, Keach, again, wrote a whole, whole bunch of different things in the course of his ministry. And one of the best-known things that he wrote is, we call it, Preaching the Types and Metaphors of Scripture. That's, that's the common title that we would give to it. He called it his Tropologia, uh, which was, a, at the time, a four-volume work which talked heavily about uh, literary figures, metaphors, and other images in the Bible. Uh, he actually co-wrote it, uh, but he, he provided the, the bulk of the material that was in that volume. But one of the things that he says in that is this. The work of a pastor is to preach the word of Christ or to feed the flock and to administer all the ordinances of the gospel which belong to his sacred office and to be faithful and laborious therein, studying to show himself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He is a steward of the mysteries of God. Therefore, he ought to be a man of good understanding and experience, being found in the faith and one that is acquainted with the mysteries of the gospel. Because he is to feed the people with knowledge and understanding, he must be faithful and skillful to declare the mind of God and diligent therein, also to preach in season and out of season, God having committed unto him the ministry of reconciliation, a most choice and sacred trust. What interest hath God greater in the world, which he hath committed unto men than this? Moreover, he must make known the whole counsel of God to the people. Keach had a pretty high view of the pastorate. Uh, not only, again, someone who's there to preach the gospel, but, but to deliver all of the, the truth of Scripture, the whole counsel of God to the people so that they would, would have understanding and would gain knowledge and wisdom in the process. Uh, Keach had a high, high view 
of preaching and of the pastoral role in particular. Another historical figure I want to cite here, and there's just a couple more of these, but uh, John Albert Broadus. Again, if you uh, have, if you've ever had any connection with Southern Seminary in Louisville, then you'll know that he was one of the first founding faculty, one of the first four men who were on the faculty of that seminary. Uh, originally from Virginia, Broadus uh, was not only a New Testament scholar, but he was also their preaching professor. And, and he wrote uh, a very famous work, which has been revised since and made even better by some others. But his work was on the preparation and delivery of sermons. And one of the things that he says about preaching is this, preaching is characteristic of Christianity. No other religion has made the regular and fervent assembling of groups of people to hear religious instruction and exhortation an integral part of divine worship. So he's, he's noticing that, that, that what we do week in and week out as, as preaching, rightly dividing the word, giving it to the people in sermonic form is something that other religious groups just don't do in that way. We're different, we're distinct, we're unique in that way. I thought that was an interesting point that he brought out. A couple of quotes that you'll probably know or at least appreciate. Uh, we remember Richard Baxter, uh, the, again, the, the Puritan from the 17th century. Now, we would have some significant issues with him on justification. But uh, he, he, his work on pastoral ministry, the Reformed pastor, is very substantial and very helpful, I think. And, of course, he said famously, I preach as never sure to preach again as a dying man to dying men. You probably heard that before. But again, let's, let's think about the significance of what he's just said. We are, we are dying. We, we, we are not going to live forever. And everyone who hears us is in the same boat. But are we only dying physically or are we also dying spiritually? That's the question. And we need to make sure that we're sharing the Word of God so that people will not die spiritually. They will know what it is to have eternal life. And that early 20th century preacher at New York City's Riverside Church, Harry Emerson Fosdick, said, Preaching is personal counseling on a group basis. Now, why would I say that? Why would I include that in, 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 this, in this list of other quotations here? If nothing else, to show you how far we've come as a culture, as a world. We, we, we have so largely in, in this world today left behind the, those, those tried and true values of, of faithful preaching, uh, of sacrifice in the pulpit, laboring to bring people the Word of God, doing the study, doing the exegesis, doing the work, doing the prayer, doing the self-examination first and then sharing it with the people next. We've gotten to where we don't do that anymore. We, we, we see so many preachers entertaining. We see preachers who are uh, simply imparting uh, ways to pat people on the back, pat themselves on the back. Uh, they're not delivering substantial words of life to their congregation. They're, they're not giving them what they need. They're not feeding them appropriately as their spiritual shepherds. How far we have come, how, how sad it is. And that was in the early 20th century. That was 100 years ago. So how far have we come since then? I asked myself, how far have we come since I taught this class last? 
If you know the name Tim Challies, uh, in one of his blogs on preaching, he wrote, Success in preaching is difficult to measure. The preaching ministry is one that is measured more over years than a single sermon. Ultimately, just about all a preacher can do is prepare to the best of his ability based on the time and resources available to him, and on that basis to have a clear conscience before the Lord, trusting that the Lord will bless his labors. Until a preacher can do this to find joy in something other than the praise and accolades of men, he will always be tempted to preach for men rather than for God. If you've ever preached a sermon, when you, when you have finished your delivery, when, when, when you have perhaps sat down, or maybe after the, the, the worship service you were in where you preached, let's say, do you ask yourself or, or do, you, do you wonder within, well, how was that? Was that any good? Maybe, maybe, maybe you've even said to yourself, that was all right. I did well. Yeah. But the thing is, you don't know who heard your sermon. You don't know where they were when they heard it, where they were in terms of their, the course of their life. You don't know how it impacted them. You don't know what uh, effects it had upon them. You don't know if they were even able to focus on what you said or not because of, of the things that might have been weighing on them or distracting them or whatever. So, so again, you don't always know how effective you are in a single sermon. You, you don't always know that. The thing is, is, is God calls us to be faithful. And so we, we do our very best one week. And then if you're in pastoral ministry where you're expected to do it again the next week, you get up that next Sunday and you preach that message again. You preach again and you keep preaching and you keep doing it. And over the course of time, it will have the impact God intends for it to have on the people. As other people have said, you know, you may not remember an individual meal that you had at home but you know that over the course of time, you were nourished by that. You were sustained by that. You were kept alive by those things. And many times they weren't just sustenance. They were good. They were delicious. They made you smile. The good things in food and meals at home, but as well as in preaching. James Ennis, J.I. Packer, wrote an introductory essay to a book called The Preacher and Preaching, and he says, Preachers have a God-given vision, and any man who has that vision cannot sleep easy without making preaching his life's work. The vision embodies a series of related convictions as follows. You believe Scripture is revelation. It's God revealing Himself. So opening the door, as it were, and, and showing you something of Himself. Number two, God is glorious. It's glorious. Not just powerful, not just almighty, but glorious. There, there's a different context, a connotation there in the word glorious than, than those other words. Something else you realize is number three, people are lost. People are lost. And fourthly, Christ is unchanging. Same yesterday, today, and forever. Number five, persuasion is needed. Paul said we persuade men. 
He was about the business of persuading men and women of the truth. Number six of seven, number six, Satan is active. He's doing all he can to squelch the message. He's doing all he can to distract. He's doing all he can to divert attention. And lastly, number seven, God's Spirit is sovereign. God's Spirit is sovereign. And He can take your message, my message, anyone's message, and do things with it that you and I would not think possible. He can drive it deep into someone's heart when it might seem as if the person wasn't even paying attention. He can do things that you and I cannot do. And therefore, sometimes uh, the results and, and the outcome are altogether unexpected, surprising. And that's why we have to give them to the Lord. We, we can't ever seek praise. We can't ever seek any kind of accolades of men. We always have to give glory to God. I'll conclude with this. My preaching professor, Herschel York, once said, The generation of students I now teach has grown up with the written word on screens, smartphones, blogs, Kindles, and now iPads. By the way, this is about 10 years ago when he said this. Through video games, they have raced cars, built civilizations, won wars, destroyed zombies, and killed hundreds. They communicate orally far less than any previous generation, and when they do, they typically do it with less passion. Yet God still uses the preaching of His Word, an oral event, to edify the church, to encourage the saints, and to engage the lost. God is still about the business of using His Word to impact hearers. Isaiah 55.11 makes that very clear. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It will not fail to accomplish that which I please, but will prosper in the thing whereunto I have sent it. God's word will accomplish what God intends for His word to accomplish. He is sovereignly in control of that. We, are, we, we cannot stop it. We cannot stifle it. We cannot do anything if He intends for it to be done. And so we can be thankful for that reality. Preaching is something that we are called to do. All of us who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ are called to preach His Word. Now, obviously, in this context, you may be preparing for pastoral ministry. You may be preparing for something more than just simply sharing the gospel. And so, in here, in the course of the next few weeks, I hope that we can get some principles and some, some help and some good counsel, some good advice for how to do a better job than we've ever done at sermon preparation and sermon delivery. That's why we're here. I hope that these lectures, I hope that this information, I hope that all that we do together in the course of the next few weeks is beneficial to you. And with that, we'll draw this session to a close. And if there are any questions, I'll be glad to answer those at this point. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Preaching and Teaching, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. CBTS is a confessional Reformed Baptist seminary which provides affordable online theological education to help the church in its calling to train faithful men for the gospel ministry. To learn more, visit cbtseminary.org.